A few quick notes before today's episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it on Apple or other platforms where you listen. This is a huge part of helping us grow and it's much appreciated. This series is produced by Authentic, a full-service brand and digital marketing studio that specializes in real estate development and leasing. We work with forward-thinking developers and property managers to create and then capitalize on demand for their properties. Our team at Authentic is built specifically for the commercial real estate industry, and we plug in every step of the way. Find out more at AuthenticFF.com. Finally, we want to hear from you. Email your feedback and ideas, as well as who else we should have on the show, to podcast at AuthenticFF.com. On this episode, I'm speaking with Brian Hughes, co-founder of Authentic Form and Function, a full-service brand and marketing studio specializing in real estate development and lease-ups. After growing up in the Midwest, Bryant graduated from Colorado State University in 2008 with a degree in business and computer information systems. He started his career in software development and web design, working for a variety of startups and digital agencies between Denver, Chicago, and Minneapolis. He co-founded Authentic as the technology lead and in 2017 helped spearhead the company's transition to the commercial real estate industry. Today, Bryant oversees account management, strategy, and the technical sides of the business. He lives in Minneapolis with his wife, Brianna, daughter, Winnie, and dog, Tula. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. Let's jump right in. All right, Bryant, been a long time. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Here we are. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a different format today. Obviously, uh, we're the co-founders of Authentic, but we, we thought this would be a great opportunity to talk a little bit more about what we're up to and, and where we came from and what we're doing today. So... I want to just dive right in and, and maybe jive right into, let's get the jive going. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and where you came from. Yeah. So I grew up in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota, spent some time between there and Omaha, Nebraska, where uh, my dad lives. So growing up kind of bopped around a lot. I was the son of some divorced parents. So, you know, moved around between the Midwest quite a bit, but primarily Minneapolis, which is where I now live. Nice. And the way I understand it is, your dad and your stepdad were business owners, which I have to imagine created some early frameworks for you and how you look at the business world and the professional world. Yeah, I mean, you know, growing up, I, um, you know, like I said before, I was, I was a child of divorced parents. On my mom's side, I'm an only child, so I spent kind of quite a bit of time uh, marinating in you know different creative areas, whether it's music. Movies, technology, it's kind of like a dorky internet kid growing up, right? When the internet was uh, picking up steam, I guess. And so then with both my stepdad and my dad being business owners, you know, that was kind of always something that I saw myself wanting to do when I got older, went to school for business with kind of a focus in computers as well. So yeah, that's kind of always been my path. I'm not totally surprised of kind of where I ended up and the breadcrumbs are kind of right there. Yeah. There's a pretty fun anecdote slash joke, but there's probably some truth to it that has to do with how many times you read the internet as a kid, as as you were growing <laughs> yeah. up. Because I think we're we're about the same age, and so you know, yeah. think about like late '90s, early 2000s, and what was going on on the internet back then. But what was? I think it's actually in your bio on the website now. What what was that about? I mean, I don't even remember. Like my best man at my wedding made a joke about how I read the internet all the way through twice. So I think that definitely stuck. <laughs> and, and yeah, I don't know, just like, 
you know, growing up in high school, late nights on the internet, like I said, like looking at movies and on these like early chat boards and IRC and kind of learning about early web design and early coding. And I just was always really interested in whatever that was, right? That kind of amalgamation Mm -hmm. of all these kind of creative things that were all happening on online. And then when I went to school, kind of specialized in in computer information systems and then also business as well. And so as I was coming out of school and uh, trying to find a pursuit, I just got really into like web design and kind of saw all this, these intersection of all these different things that I was doing come together. And it was still a pretty nascent industry at the time. So kind of dove in headfirst there and a lot of it was self-taught, but you know, that's kind of how you and I first started to connect. Yeah. I I remember the, this dates us a little bit, but I remember the early days of when CSS was like a huge thing. It was a new Mm -hmm. trend slash obviously became a pretty big staple in modern web development over the last decade, decade and a half, which is, which is crazy to think about. But similar to you, I remember growing up, just having kind of my my hands in the design side more more so than the development side, but mm-hmm. trying to figure out how this HTML thing worked. And at that time, it was all embedded CSS and a lot of IDs, not necessarily classes back then to get things to look the way you wanted to. So definitely a really fun time. And and that, like you said, transitioned you into computer science backgrounds at school, and then. Early on in your career, did you end up going right into web design and development, or what was the what were those early years like? Yeah, so coming right into school, so I went to school out in uh, Colorado State in Fort Collins, and then right after school, I got a job in Boulder as a entry level web developer, essentially, and then lived in Denver at the time. And yeah, the early years were kind of just like figuring out what the hell web development was. I kind of knew from school and took a bunch of classes in it, obviously, but you don't really know how things work, I guess, in the real world when you're building like big client sites until you actually get your hands dirty and start building like real websites and, you know, pieces of software. So the early years were kind of just getting my hands dirty, doing as much web development, but then also like web design, which I was also really interested in. I was probably more interested in web design and kind of saw web development as my way to do more web design. And so, yeah, the early years were kind of spent working at various technology companies or um, different agencies. Um, I was originally in Colorado, like I mentioned, and then moved to Chicago late in 2009, I think, and then worked for uh, a couple agencies there before kind of going it out on my own. Yeah, that's really fascinating that you mentioned how you're more into the web design side of it, but that you felt like the development portion was what would actually kind of help you accelerate and move move further through your career. Yep. And I actually was the opposite where I was right. I kind of felt like design is a thing that I could do and it was it was fun and all but develop I could see development as something that I would be more interested in over the years and that uh that intersection as you mentioned was is really interesting as all that was coming together in the mm-hmm. early 2000s and and early 20 teens there. Yep. So you made a, a pivot point. There was a pivot point. There was a transition at some point where you decided to start freelancing. What was that transition like? Why did you ultimately decide, you know, freelancing is the, the, the way to go forward? And maybe tell the audience, the listeners, about what your company was called and, and kind of the thinking behind that. Yeah. So, um, you know, the reason for wanting to jump to freelance was really I was just like super hungry and wanted to just kind of like start my own thing, but then also 
you know, really curious and entrepreneurial and, um, you know, worked for some agencies and that was great. Um, really appreciative of kind of those early days, but at the same time, I was super hungry to kind of get out and, you know, work on projects I wanted to work on and focus on areas that I wanted to focus. And, you know, I was already doing quite a bit of work on top of like quite a bit of moonlighting work. And so it was pretty easy transition to just say, Hey, like let's build up 10 clients over the next three months. And then, you know, I'll jump ship at my job and see if that can sustain me. And it did. And yeah, the, the company was called The Good Lab, which still exists in some capacity. I think the website's still up. Right. And um, yeah, so it's it's still there. It's still the, kind of the legal entity that I have. And yeah, I don't know. The, the idea was just to do kind of good work and work that was both good in terms of quality and then also was good in terms of kind of the impact that it made. Right. You know, super like woke meta 20 year old brain coming in there <laughs> and wanting to like do good yeah. in the world. Yeah. And we, we talk about this all the time, but we've had really similar paths in that way. You know, I had my own freelance company as well. And it's funny when you actually transitioned away from Colorado is when we actually met for the first time. And I would say we both learned a lot in those early years doing our own thing. And one of the biggest takeaways that we talk about a lot from that era is it's hard to be a, you know, an expert in every field. It's hard to be a master of everything. Uh, you kind of end up feeling like you're a master of nothing when you try to be something to everyone. What did you feel like was the turning point for that mindset? Do you feel like that was something that you saw as we headed into creating Authentic together? Or did that come a little bit later in the, in the Authentic trajectory in, in your mind? I mean, I think you saw it, actually. <laughs> I, I remember kind of a distinct trip that we were on where... Um, we were just kind of trying to figure out what's like the next phase of the business look like. And, you know, I think we both, and this is like a very common um, thing that you see, I don't know, I don't want to like stereotype and say it's a younger person thing, but I think people who are kind of getting into their careers is like, they don't want to, especially in creative careers is they don't want to like limit the work that they're doing. And they think that, you know, by being a generalist and by working for everyone, you just like leave the opportunities open to, take on any project you want. And I think that's how we kind of started the company. But then after a couple of years and kind of running our, you know, our small studio that way, we kind of figured out, no, like we need to be specializing our work. We can't just be a commodity service. That's kind of web design and development for hire. We need to specialize the services that we do provide in a specific industry so that the sum of all of the services that we provide is much greater than, you know, just hourly design and development work, right? Like we understand an industry, we know how we can use these tools to add value to an industry and bring innovation to an industry. And I think that was something that we figured out kind of along the way and thankfully like fairly early in our process. And and yeah, that was kind of, I think the start of the specialization that we went through. Mm. I remember distinctly the different types of clients that we had, you know, over the years, it would Range from, I know I say the story, you know, it ranged from a small pizza company in Chicago to financial services in the Midwest to Fortune 500 software company. And it was just all over the map. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really important challenge for us to face as a business and to try to figure out, you know, where can we best inject our services and our experience and our knowledge and make a certain industry better. And we landed on commercial real estate. So we had right. a few different clients in commercial real estate, uh, specifically here in Denver at the time. And I think we saw a lot of opportunity 
to grow into that industry and to, to help that industry on many levels. And that kind of brings me to my next question. And, and I know it's a challenging one for us because I think we try to do our best to describe what we do today as succinctly as possible because we do a lot for our client partners. So for the listeners today, if you could give sort of an elevator pitch or elevator response to that question, you know, what is authentic all about? Like we get that question a lot. How do you generally respond to that one? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we avoided for a while calling ourselves an agency, but essentially we're you know a full service brand and digital marketing agency that specializes in real estate development and lease ups. And so, you know, we basically offer an integrative set of these creative services and tools that help create demand for a property. And then once that demand is created in a market, help capitalize on that demand with different digital marketing services and lease up marketing. Yeah. And you said something in there that I want to clarify because it can be a mouthful and sometimes it's misunderstood, but there's this idea of integrated services mm-hmm. and some understand what that is. Some don't understand it as much or, or just don't understand it at all, which is, <laughs> sure. which is totally fair. But tell the listeners, you know, what does that mean for us? You know, how is that different from other projects or is it different from the way other projects are typically run? Yeah, I mean, so for us, integrated services means that all of our service kind of kind of link one to the other. So when we were jumping into the industry, right, we were primarily a web design company at that point. You know, one thing that we saw was that, hey, a lot of these projects, they need more than just a web design service. They need branding, they need lease up marketing, they need remarketing services, they need drone, they need VR. There's all of these services that we had frankly done. On different projects, but we hadn't ever linked them together in the way that we're linking them together now. And once we jumped into and better understood the real estate development process, kind of going everything from pre-capitalization and kind of offering memorandums in the entitlements phase and you know the construction phase and building awareness and then kind of the formal lease-up phase, we saw that a lot of the services that we provide can really link into one another and that we can be this full-service creative partner for some of our clients. And so I think on, on our end, you know, once we started to focus and specialize in the creative server and in the real estate space, we saw the opportunity kind of unlock and um, saw a lot of the capabilities that we had, how they all connected to one another to, again, like a phrase I used earlier is kind of provide value that's bigger than the sum of their parts. So that's kind of in a nutshell what the integration of those creative services means. It's just kind of that they take you know, one service leads into another, leads into another, and has a lot of efficiencies built into it because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And and one of the ways that I try to think about it too, and, and since my background is more design focused, you know, I always think of full service, you know, creative agencies. And there, there's so many out there. And when they talk about full service, you know, what they're talking about is, you know, hey, we can do branding, we can do writing, we can do websites, we can do photography. And it's sort of like the focus there is on the full suite of creative services. And yet that full suite is fairly minimal and fairly kind of focused, um, which is the the irony because it's focused for like a variety of of industries. And you can sort of try to apply that to every single industry. And I think when we're talking about full service, we're really specifically talking about the life cycle of the development project and how can we plug in uh, creatively, either technology focused or literally, you know, kind of creatively brand focused strategically all along that flow. Right. And so 
there's this concept that we have that really just has to do with streamlining the development process, plugging in from start to finish. Tell the listeners, you know, what are those moments? What are those steps along the way that we try to streamline for our development partners? Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of different for every project, right? So we work with um, a lot of real estate developers. We work across asset classes. So industrial, we do a lot of multifamily work. We do student housing work. We do kind of these district level master planned communities or like entertainment districts, things like that. So it kind of depends on every project. Um, And then we also actually do marketing just for individual like corporate marketing, right? Who are um, putting on offering memorandums or just trying to build thought leadership in their market. But we're thinking of like a real estate development process, pre-capitalization, oftentimes, um, you know, we're helping with kind of brand building for the actual real estate development company um, and also kind of building early project awareness kind of on the, on the capital side. So when they're trying to reach out and figure out their capital stack and putting out their offering memorandums, you know, we've helped with the actual design of those memorandums. And then also um, we have tools like our, kind of digital offering memorandum deck that just presents that information in a much more compelling data-focused way. Then kind of after a project, you know, the capital has been raised for it, it's closed. Then oftentimes um, a very risky part of a project is the entitlement phase when it's trying to get approvals in the community from the city council just to move forward and, you know, get granted any land variances that it needs. And we have some tools and uh, some products that we've built to help with digital community engagement to just facilitate that process that right now is is currently done in a very analog and clunky way that creates a lot of lose-lose situations between a community and a developer. So during that phase, we have some online tools that we've deployed, um, usually on kind of like these big master plan community projects, uh, just to facilitate that community engagement and to, you know, build kind of data models showing, you know, support or places where the project can be improved, um, all coming from community sentiments. So pre-capitalization entitlements, then we kind of get into like when a project would be going through construction and we start doing some early brand awareness building. So that kind of starts with, you know, branding and kind of creating the identity for the project and getting some signage on site and really just starting to build awareness kind of in, you know, on the block or on the local level. Then as construction starting to be completed and we start thinking about pre-leasing and formal lease-ups, that's when usually the project website is launching. And we start doing all of the, the kind of formal digital marketing efforts like paid ad campaigns, um, organic ad campaigns, SEO optimization, and then kind of a bunch of you know retargeting and remarketing efforts as well once the project is kind of collecting leads and converting web traffic into these. Hey listeners, just a quick reminder that today's episode is brought to you by our company, Authentic, the full-service brand and digital marketing studio specializing in real estate development and leasing. If you weren't aware, I wanted to let you know about how our team adds value to all of your projects. Because Authentic has been architected with the entire real estate development lifecycle in mind, we sit in parallel with your strategy, marketing, rendering, digital, and leasing needs, beginning at day zero. To learn more about how we can help elevate your next project, or to keep existing projects stabilized, visit our website for more information at AuthenticFF.com. Let's talk about the digital side of that, because earlier in the in the podcast, we you know you were mentioning and we come from a very sort of digitally forward perspective. I mean, we were 
we were a web design and development shop for so long that digital is important and it matters to us. And, and we really try to hang our hats on that. Why would you say that digital is so important to the real estate industry and, and the work that we're doing for our partners today? Yeah, I mean, nowadays, you know, the lease up marketing is primarily a digital activity. It's not like handshakes and, you know, relationship focused anymore. The vast majority of the leads that are coming in from a project are either through the project website, through different ILSs like apartments.com or Zillow or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's the primary way that a project is leased. And, you know, I think in, in previous years, um, that process was a lot different. It was a lot about, you know, on-site signage and, again, kind of building that, like, local buzz literally within blocks from the project. But nowadays, right, we're, like, we're remarketing the people in different areas of a city. We're running ad campaigns that are, yeah, really just trying to drive and, and build with, you know, certain audiences in that, in that market. And so nowadays, digital is just such a big piece of the lease up marketing that we really lean into it. And, you know, that's kind of where our um, skills really come from, you know, coming from the software engineering and the web development side. So um, it was kind of an opportune area for us. And I think one thing too that we talk about, and I know that this is something that you've brought up before, is that before the pandemic happened, you know, there was sort of like this trendy idea. It was kind of like this uh, something that would be here and there, but not really a mainstream solution to lean into digital for leasing, pre-leasing, you know, like you said, the primary driver of a project's marketing success. There's this quote that you like to use that I think relates to that. And it has to do with a pendulum swinging. If you can remember, maybe paraphrase that one for the listeners. I think it's really appropriate for where we are in the real estate industry today with, with, the, with the way the real estate industry is headed. And then it also kind of speaks to, I think, sort of this pre and post COVID era. Yeah, so it's it's one that we actually have in our proposals, but it's um, your curb appeal now has more to do with your website than your actual curb, which I think hits home pretty well. The point that I was making before. Yeah, and what is it? Ninety um, percent of people are finding about your out about your project online first. Yeah, that's and that's across kind of not just real estate. That's kind of just brand building um, in general. Where you know nowadays the primary way that people are finding and interacting with your brand online, and I think that's even more important now again with real estate properties. Where again we're remarketing not just on the block where the property exists, but throughout the whole community and city that it lives. One of the things that I think could be helpful on this podcast is to talk about the things that you know you see developers making as mistakes, like the steps that that are made that are maybe you know not the best move anymore. We're in a unique position where we're not only able to help on the marketing side of these real estate projects, but I think education is such a huge piece of the work that we're doing too. Whether or not someone ends up working with us, I think it's important to share our knowledge, share what we're seeing. And I know that you have some good thoughts. Are there anything that come to mind, any of those that come to mind that are worth sharing on the podcast today? Yeah, I mean, you know, the work that we do touches a lot of different facets. So there's probably a lot of different takeaways. For each of those facets, I would say on the branding side, one of the things that we've seen since coming into the industry is that oftentimes when people are creating an identity for a project, they're kind of creating the name of the project and the design of the brand is kind of two separate silent processes. And I think that's why oftentimes you see a lot of just real estate projects or properties that just feel very stale and you know inorganic. And if you compare like a multifamily project to like 
your local restaurant, high-end restaurant that's opening in your city. There's just like so much of a difference between the attention that's put to the identity and branding of that restaurant versus kind of this multifamily property. But, you know, there should be just as much, if not equal amounts of attention put to, you know, the home where someone's going to live and be spending, you know, the majority of their time. And so from our standpoint, you know, we really work to create project identities that are a single kind of organic process where we're creating the name, the identity, the branding program, kind of all in one inclusive process. And I think, you know, the results of that are just a brand that feels much more cohesive and, you know, is kind of rooted in some of the values that, you know, the property is striving for rather than just, you know, siloing a name, coming to a decision on a name, and then trying to wedge that into whatever the the brand and, and the creative is behind the name. Yeah. And then what about what about SEO? Because I, I want to make sure that we cover this because I think SEO is such a still to this day, I mean, I feel like for the last 10 years it's been a hot button item, but I don't think we have a week that goes by without SEO coming up or a question about SEO. What's your, I don't know, high level takeaway about SEO in the real estate industry? Yeah, I mean, I guess first is that, you know, SEO isn't going to lease up a property. I think that's a common misconception that we'll often get is that when we're starting a project, you know, a developer or a property manager will want to spend a lot of time on SEO and keywords and things like that. But SEO is a very long-term marketing play. It's something that you certainly want to set the foundation for when you're doing property marketing. But, you know, a property marketing campaign, you know, if the website goes live, let's say three months before the building opens, and then it takes another let's say three to four months to stabilize, you know, your property marketing is only going to be a seven month campaign and SEO takes much longer than seven months to build up good organic traffic for a project. And so typically when people are like, Oh, we need SEO on our website. What they're actually talking about is just digital marketing at large. And that includes paid search and social campaigns. Part of that may be, you know, a small amount of SEO just to make sure that, you know, your property is connected to Google Maps and that it's showing up correctly in Google search. But, you know, SEO itself isn't a tactic that we would generally recommend for a property that needs to lease and stabilize fast. Yeah. The other thing I'll add there is because that's all great information. I would also add this idea or this concept of the bigger the amenity list, the better the SEO. Those two things do not Equate, and I hear that a lot. Where the bigger the the list that is provided, if you just jam that on a few pages, you know, suddenly people are going to find you because I don't know. You mentioned a, a rooftop patio or something like that. You know, that's just not how it works. And as you said, it takes a lot longer to create traction from an SEO perspective. Let's sort of like riff on that and, and pivot into something that I think comes up a lot too, which has to do with pre-leasing and the timing of when things are pushed live or not, what do you see as the important part or the important takeaway for when to launch a brand or when to launch the first sort of website splash page? Yeah. So I mean, typically when we first started working on projects, right, there was a there was a conception that, hey, the property website doesn't need to lease until two or maybe at most three months before it goes live. But you know, we've seen a lot of success really trying to make that website go live as early in the process as possible. You know, one of the first things that we do now once we're done with brand and identity is uh, launch a project splash page just so that the website is live, it's associated to the final domain of the project, and that, you know, when it does come back to SEO, we are building some of that online 
equity really as soon as possible. Because like I was saying before, like SEO takes a long time to generate. You want to give the website as much lead time as possible to, to be live. Um, so we really push our clients to get their website, um, certainly their splash page live as, as, as early as possible. And then to coordinate that with you know any sort of pre-leasing or on-site signage campaigns that they're doing that can just direct traffic to the website. Because you know, that early traffic generation to the website that may happen, you know, three, four, five plus months before a project, when you start sending people to the website, that traffic is super valuable for a variety of reasons. Number one, like some of those people are gonna be submitting their email addresses and can turn to actual leads. And then, you know, those are also audiences that you can remarket to um, when formal leasing does start. And you can also create, you know, different lists. Lookalike audiences of Facebook, for example, of ways that you can remarket, you know, again to those people during the formal lease up process. So we always just advocate for getting that website up early and then starting to coordinate print and digital campaigns around it so that you know you have solid traction when leasing does start. Yeah. I have an example in mind. So let's add just add some data to that because I yeah. think data is important um, when we start talking about things like this. So we do have a project that we're working on right now that's still five or six months out from really getting pre-leasing going and you know getting people through the building. And we already have close to a hundred organic leads that have just come in, just you know, seeing the splash page. Maybe they saw a banner on this on the uh, on the actual project site, and they're just coming to the website and they're submitting their interest in the project. And it's free, right? Like it's easy, right. and and just a lot of developers don't even think about that. Property owners don't think about it. It's a low-hanging fruit that's an easy win. Yep. I want to kind of move into the next section, but let's talk about remarketing because you brought that up briefly just a moment ago. Yeah. Talk about remarketing and how that's maybe missed on a lot of projects, or maybe it's just sort of like not yet in the mindset for a lot of these properties and property owners. Yeah. So I mean, you know, remarketing is essentially just you can break the marketing up into two phases for this example. Like there's the initial kind of marketing that is bringing a top of funnel lead to the website. That person comes to the website, submits their email address and kind of, you know, tells us that, Hey, they're interested in this project. Typically at that point, the leasing team would reach out to them and kind of facilitate that process. But oftentimes, you know, they reach out and the person doesn't get back to them. But at that point in the process, you still have that person's email address. And that person can be remarketed to through email newsletters, through display advertising remarketing, through social advertising or organic social posts. And so really, once you get that email address, that is very expensive at the end of the day. That's where a lot of like marketing dollars go towards is building those lead lists. You know, then you have a lot of value that can still be created afterwards through some of those remarketing activities to continue to convert that lead and get in front of that lead. So, you know, on some projects that we've worked on, we've seen up to 50% of the leads that have been, or excuse me, the leases that have been signed that are coming from digital marketing be from remarketing activities. And those are things that, you know, you can't not include on a project. They're just so essential at this point when all of these digital marketing platforms are, are super sophisticated and kind of provide you with these tools to use just right out of the box. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, right? It's, um, you know, the real estate industry is changing like a lot of industries. And, you know, one of the things that I would say quite a few things that we see changing really have to do with leveraging these more digital solutions that 
also in some cases just come down to automation and thinking through the the life cycle of not only the development project itself, but how does a, a tenant or a future customer come through and sort of understand and appreciate and, and get to know the the property or the building and how can we best capitalize on that entire life cycle from the the early strategic days to you know getting a building leased up and stabilized and and um, making sure everyone knows what it's all about. So those are great those are great tips. Um, thanks for sharing those. I want to hard pivot and uh, start talking about what's next for Authentic. You know, I think we got a few things up our sleeves for the next year or two. But speaking to you personally, you know, what are you most excited about as you look ahead? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of really excited about when we were talking about those integrated services before. I'm really excited of how all of those different capabilities are now being strung together um, so seamlessly in our projects. And I think we're really kind of hitting our stride with how we can deploy those very seamlessly, very successfully on a project. And then continuing to think out like, what are these new services and offerings that we can bring to the table with those capabilities or with other capabilities like media partnerships or working more closely with leasing firms and helping them make data informed decisions about kind of their sales process and how their, their lease up process works. So you know, I think on, on our end, what we've created so far is this really great platform of creative services and tools. And then that can just continue to expand for all of these properties that we're working on and, and just continue to you know, make the process easier and kind of lower risk and you know, keep the leasing process as fast and accelerated as possible. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it because oftentimes I find myself talking about Authentic as almost like a CMO for hire for your entire project, right? So in previous, you know, years and decades, you know, a lot of developers and real estate companies would need to go to four, five, six different groups to achieve what they can achieve if they just go to authentic for all of their services, uh, or at least for a majority of their services, to be fair. Um, and I think that's really exciting. Exciting for us, of course, but exciting for kind of the next phase in the commercial real estate world where they don't need to kind of create relationships or rely on multiple different relationships where those, you know, sometimes those games of telephone can really break down during a, a project's life cycle. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into my favorite parts of the podcast. They're all favorite parts, but this is one of my most favorite parts and that's the rapid fire section. So let's, let's just jump right in. So the most exciting project you've seen in the last year is dot, dot, dot. What would you say there? You know, this isn't like totally related to real estate marketing, but um, when we've been talking with architecture firms recently, and we're starting to hear of them and their approach to kind of post-COVID design and kind of this hybrid work model. And it's been really interesting to hear some of these architecture firms talk about the ways that hybrid companies um, are going to operate in the future and like what that means for kind of public and private spaces and ways that some of those businesses can better facilitate hybrid work. You know, we're a hybrid company as well or a remote company. So it's, it's interesting to kind of see that coming to fruition in you know, the big corporate world and how that's going to have an impact on, you know, the physical environments where we live and, and work. Yeah. I think I saw actually just very recently, I saw, that during the height of the pandemic, or actually, I guess as the pandemic was sort of on the back on the back nine, and people were starting to go back to work, companies were offering 
I think 35 to 40% of companies were kind of offering that remote work or hybrid option. And now it's drastically reduced again. It's down to, you know, 10, 15% again, which is still higher than it used to be. But to your point, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting hybrid designs coming out of the certainly the architecture space, but the development side as well and how those are executed in upcoming years. All right. One book that you would recommend to the listeners right now, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, I read a lot of really weird kind of business books, I guess, for lack of a better term, (laughs) but I'd say more of kind of like a general purpose book. The last one that was really great was um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight that kind of recounts the story of how he created Nike. And yeah, it was crazy to just see like a company like Nike and how he, you know, was just grinding it out basically till the day they IPO'd and uh, as a company and a co-founder of a business who's also grinding it out. You can certainly, certainly empathize with that. Yeah. Well, listen, Brian, thanks for joining me today. You did great. Loved hearing a little bit about your background and kind of where things are with Authentic these days. I want to uh, do one more thing. The only thing that's left to do, which is to roll out that red carpet for you. Tell the world what you're up to and uh, where they can find you online. Yeah. So kind of the best place to find us online, uh, AuthenticFF.com. You know, contact form on the website, info at authenticff.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I post on there uh, a decent amount. You can find me on Twitter, I think twitter.com slash AXS. I don't really post on there a lot, but, and um, yeah, and then, you know, we have a bunch of projects that we're working on right now, multifamily project or several multifamily projects in Minneapolis, a student housing project, project down in Florida. That's kind of a master plan district and then several others and yeah we'll be posting about those online so you can certainly find more of the work that we're doing yeah on linkedin and on those areas yeah and and for the listeners we always have a really great show notes section so if you want to pop down to those you can check out a few different links that we'll share both for brian's and then some of the projects that he's been referring to so take a look um, and thanks for listening brian thanks so much for joining us today we really appreciate it yeah thanks chris Transforming Cities is brought to you by Authentic, the full-service brand and digital marketing studio that specializes in real estate development and leasing. Visit us online at AuthenticFF.com. If you're a new listener, you can follow along at AuthenticFF.com slash podcast or simply subscribe through your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.